You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Avengers Episode 4B, covering a period of the Avengers from 1968, or are we already in 1969? This is 1969 to 1970, uh, wrapping up the 60s in this episode. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Avengers co-host, Chris Russ. And today we're going to be talking about Avengers number 69 through 76, and also Marvel Superheroes number 17. Yeah, so this is the, yeah, like I said before, the, the end of the 60s. We've covered so much Avengers in such a little time, and it's cool to see uh, where the team has gone and the evolution. And I think uh, toward the end of this episode, we'll, we'll t- reflect on what we've talked about. Um, but the thing that struck me about these issues are just the, the coming and going of the Avengers. It's just a, it's a rotating team constantly at this time. There is no one character except, I think, Hawkeye, who is a consistent person on the team. And even he changes his superhero identity um, throughout, yes. you know, throughout this title. That's right. <laughs> There's even a level of inconsistency there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so what I've, what I've read in researching these issues is since Roy Thomas took over, he's been itching to get Thor and Iron Man and Captain America, those kind of big original Avengers, back on the team as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and initially, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, initially Stanley just kept telling him no, no, no. And then he just kind of started putting them in the book. Like they would make tons of appearances <laughs> and just kind of show up yeah. and stand in on the stop. So... He just kept doing that. So in this, especially in this second half of this uh, Epic Collection Volume 4 for the Avengers, you'll see that those characters are kind of there, and they're almost just there. It's not, they haven't joined the team. They're not necessarily kind of shoehorned in the issue, or or there's not even necessarily plot reasons specifically for them to be there. They're just kind of quasi-active members. And I think that's more of that Roy Thomas just kind of throwing them on the team. But at the same time, it's like Yellow Jacket and Wasp will step up for some time. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are not in the back half of this book, uh, or the first half of this book, actually, at all. They're Through this entire volume four, they're only in the last two issues. And, yep. and so, like, and then Captain America is in one issue and then not the next. And even Black Panther <laughs> is is absent for um, an issue or two every right. couple of issues. Right. And there's not, there's sometimes, like, a kind of a throwaway line, like, oh, Black Panther is in Africa this this month. Yeah. Or, you know, Iron Man had to do something else. Or it, it's, it's not, they don't, the title doesn't necessarily require there to be really solid reasons why a character is there or isn't there. Um, it's kind of like Silver Age Justice League, where just some happen to be there this time and some don't. It's kind of yeah. pick and choose. It's just such a different way to handle a team book than, say, the Fantastic Four, where they're all family members, they're always together, or the X-Men, right. where it's a school, so they're always in session and that kind of thing. It's just a, uh, yep. such a different different feeling when you see this. It's, like, it's a team, but it's really just kind of whoever's around. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and occasionally who's selected is based on maybe the villain a little bit, but yep. generally you're right. It just seems kind of whoever whoever Roy wants to write about that week. <laughs> <laughs> well, and even when we get to the last story in this book, uh, not to get too ahead of ourselves or anything, but the, the story with um, Archon the Magnificent, because um, mm-hmm. the Iron Man and Thor are not in the first chapter, but then they suddenly appear halfway through the second chapter and are actually <laughs> yeah. the resolution to all of the problems. They just kind of, th- he, he, Roy Thomas just throws them in there, solves yep. everything, and they even just kind of say that they solved everything in a caption box. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> it is just kind of like uh, Roy is definitely putting them in whenever he can kind of squeeze them in there, not making it official. Um, they even have a, a scene where they gather around a big table, a new Avengers table, and Iron Man and Thor have seats at the table, but they aren't sitting there. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and all that being said about how seemingly random it is, I do think this is a fun group of Avengers. It's totally. really cool being Black Panther and Vision, these newer team members, yep. interacting with Thor and Iron Man and Captain America, the kind of more classic Avengers. It's, it's fun to see those different eras interacting seamlessly. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. Uh, Okay, so before we dive into our issues, I want to read a few comments. I asked people to to let us know what they thought about these issues. And over on Twitter, uh, we had one comment from Richard Mantle that says, contains one of the best 12-issue runs of this title. Classics. Yep, for sure. Yep. And then another comment on uh, Instagram says, the team of Avengers that were together to witness Vision enter this this story arc, referring to the issues we talked about in the last episode, T'Challa, Tony, Cap, Ant-Man, the way they experience what Vision is and try to make sense of him is really what builds the character of Vision, in my opinion. And that's a, that's a nice comment because it's right. I made the comment that Vision comes in as a fully realized character, but so much of the way he is is informed to us by the way the characters react to him. Exactly, which is really cool. And it's it happens more organically that way instead of a caption box having to say, and his voice sounds really weird. You'll have somebody say, you know, he sounds unearthly or, or spooky mm-hmm. or something like that. They'll, they'll talk about it in natural, more yeah. naturalistic dialogue. That comment was from Marvel Reviews and Brews. Check him out on Instagram. Uh, and then also we have some comments uh, from Facebook. We have one from Frank, and he says, Such a classic volume, gorgeous art by Busema, uh, colon, and this new Barry Smith dude. <laughs> <Like that. laughs> yep. uh, I love the looks of the later issues by Busema and Palmer, who set the classic look and feel of the Avengers. Uh, and mm-hmm. those stories are great, too, with the first, the, the four first ones being a gem of the book, the first four issues of Volume 4, which we talked about in the first uh in the in the previous episode with ultron and vision yeah uh, he says it's interesting to see how roy thomas establishes hank pym's psychological problems and the roy roster is also good much more of a balance than in the previous volume that would be the masters of evil volume and if, mm-hmm. it forms a personal standpoint when i think of classic marvel i think of these four stories and how they embody everything great about comic books for me yeah yeah, yeah i think these are these have a very distinct silver age feel to them um, and and then towards the end here, we start to get into the 70s a little bit, and you do see some of the style changing um, to reflect some of this kind of post Steranko um, atmosphere we're in now. And you know, this is kind of getting to post Jack Kirby, but it, this is still a thoroughly Silver Age epic collection, and, and I love it. I love this stuff. Uh, a comment from Hemi. He says, another book that just knocks the Avengers out of the park. There are a bunch of introductions to new characters and villains. There's never a dull moment or point that slowed down, and every issue was action-packed. This might be my favorite Avengers epic to date. 
Yeah, it. I think aside from the Jack Kirby Fantastic Four, this is probably my favorite epic, just period, at least that I've read so far. This is a, a fantastic volume. This is, and I would say that um, it's really hard to compare this one in terms of better to mm-hmm. like Under Siege uh, because that yeah. volume is also very, very excellent. Right, yeah. That, that being the incredible... Um, uh, Roger Stern and yep. John Buscema and Tom Palmer um, kind of era of the Avengers there. Yep. Sean says this is where the Roy Thomas this is where Roy Thomas really hits his stride. The poetry in the original Vision stories is great, uh, and we get the first Buscema Palmer art in the series along with Barry Windsor Smith and Sal Buscema. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where the Avengers really became the Avengers, and it is a must read at this point. Uh, I loved bringing in the bringing in of Black Panther and the Vision as Avengers. The Yellow Jacket story is a little goofy, but I like his costume redesign. <laughs> he says, my only complaint is Clint becoming Goliath. I just liked Hawkeye better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am I am also a big fan of Hawkeye as a yep. character. I like I like the arrows. I think it's I think it's awesome. Um I like the fact that he's kind of like, you know, a little underpowered, so he's kind of the underdog. That's fun to see. But but I think the visual things that continue to happen with him as Goliath are really cool. Um and I think that I think that's taken advantage of nicely uh in this in the second half of this volume. So yep. there, there are there are pros and cons there. And the only thing I'll add, you know, calling out all the amazing artists in this book, um, I, I really love those Gene Colon issues. Um, yes. so I think if considering picking up this epic collection it's that's another reason it's worth it because those that's some really beautiful gene colon work in the first half of this epic collection and and i am a i have a huge soft spot for sal buscema as well who we'll talk about more of his work um in this this uh week's episode but yeah it's there's great artists in every single issue Well, I think we should start on with our issues. And what I would like to do, actually, is I would like to start this episode with Marvel Superheroes number 17, the story about the Black Knight, because continuity-wise, it actually falls before the issues we're going to talk about. Uh, right. For, it was an interesting placement. Yeah. Because um, it's easy referenced in uh, like an editor's note as having already happened. But in this epic collection, it's placed way at the back. It's placed as a bonus feature. Um, and I really don't think it should be because it actually is a very important, pivotal moment for Dane Whitman that plays out uh, in in this Kang story that we're not the Kang. Is it the Kang story? Um, one of the, uh, no, the Squadron Supreme story. Yeah, that's this story, the, yeah. the Kang story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It yeah. plays out in this <laughs> Kang story. So I think that we should talk about this one first before we get into the rest of the issues, if that's okay with you. That sounds great to me. Okay. So in this story, uh, first of all, let's just say that Marvel Superheroes started as a reprint book and then became sort of an anthology story where we, they fit in issues or stories that kind of didn't fit anywhere else. Uh, and yep. so we have we had issue in a story like that's where we see the first Guardians of the Galaxy appearances there, and mm-hmm. um, Ca- Captain Marvel makes his appearance here. Now we have a story with Black Knight, and it is written by Roy Thomas and it is drawn by Howard Purcell, with mm-hmm. it says inking by Dan Adkins and Company. Um, really nice, <laughs> very golden age I think golden age feeling artwork. Uh, with yep. hints of Silver Age here and there, especially with some of the in- interesting panel arrangements and such. Um, 
But the story right. is basically uh, Dane Whitman goes to get a tour of this castle and meets um, a, uh, an effigy, I guess, or something of the, the former Black Knight, Sir Percy, who shows him uh, where he can get his hands on his special magical blade, the ebony blade, which is forged right. from a, a, a star, metal from a star, supposed to be unbreakable. And uh, and he gets that, and he has to defeat a bad guy, that the guardian of the, the blade. And then later on, after he kind of goes back to uh, London, he meets up with another guy who um, I guess is an ancestor of Modred the, the mystic and or Modred Modred the evil I guess they call him um, and they have to battle and he proves himself as the as the better and as the new Black Knight kind of firming his place in in mythology or whatever you want to call it right yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and the castle he went to go on the tour of, he owns the castle. He wanted to see like how it would look from a tourist perspective, I think. So, cause, cause he, as an ancestor, he is the person who, uh, who owns this. So that's why, he, and then he wanders off and discovers all this stuff happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Howard Purcell is, he, I mean, and the reason why he has that golden age touches, um, he is a golden age artist. Yes. He's probably most famous for, uh, the Green Lantern number one cover that he drew. Um, so that's the golden age, uh, Green Lantern. Um, with you know that multicolored costume, uh, he didn't do too much work for Marvel. I think he did some Watcher backups in Silver Surfer, right? Uh, and then uh, then he also did a, a couple of Nick Fury uh, issues in Strange Tales one forty three and one forty four. But but yeah, I think I, I like his art. I like Golden Age art generally. Um, so uh, there's some there's some definitely highlights here as well, uh, particularly. Uh, I like that scene on, well, I like the appearance of that guardian of the blade on yep. page 436 of this epic collection. That's just a really cool character kind of villain design. Uh, and then I also really like on page 441, the, the saber, um, that kind of circus uh, trickster who uh, seems to have kind of a cursed, um, sad life. There's all these visions, haunting visions appearing to him yeah. as he lies in bed. That's just a really awesome page. Yeah, and he's a really good horse artist as well. So when Aragorn right. enters the scene, is like just really, really awesome. Uh, he puts a lot of detail, and I don't know if that's Dan Adkins' detail um, into the the shading and and everything, mm -hmm. but it just looks really, really nice. And it's very different than the rest of this book. Uh, it's very dark, very yep. moody, a lot of thick lines and and uh, and heavy shadows throughout the yep. thing, which I think is very cool. And I think about the history of the Black Knight. And a lot of it is just kind of a lot darker in general, dealing with more like darker images and medieval times and all this. Uh, yep. And when Black Knight gets his own backup feature in um, in the UK Hulk comics um, with Captain Britain, uh, those ones are also really kind of very moody and dark and fun to read too. Yeah, and and also it's interesting because so this is I think a '68 issue. I think this issue came in '68 or, or early '69. Um, and this is before Marvel in the 70s really went on their kind of horror comic um, or kind of mystical comic boom, right? Um, which which they went through. But this kind of foreshadows some of this. So this is like sword and sorcery, and you know, like you said, this kind of darker, heavy shadows, haunting imagery. Uh, so it's a, it's an interesting kind of stepping stone in the direction of that 1970s uh, haunted comic uh, yeah. trend they experienced. And so the reason I bring this one up in particular in continuity is because uh, he gets his ebony blade. That's this is the 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 signifying I think 
trait of Black Knight is he has his ebony blade, which he, we haven't seen up to this point. All of the stories that Black Knight has been in in the Avengers up to now, he has had his blade, a, a sword, but it's just been a sword. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to see the ebony blade become a, a plot device in this next story. And this is the story where he gets this magical thing. And I think it's important to to read. I think it works better if you read the stories in, in this order, reading this first and then that Kang story, because there's something we'll get to it when it happens. But there's something that happens in that Kang story where the ebony blade Black Knight has like an almost mystical power that he has as a result of the Ebony Blade. And if you don't read this story first, your previous experiences with the Black Knight are just that he's kind of a dude with a sword. And he right. does have a flying horse, but it's a generally just guy who swings a sword around. Yeah. So then it's very out of left field that he suddenly has mystical powers, unless you read this Marvel superhero, superhero number 17 first, because that establishes his magical backstory, his connection with Merlin, the fact that the sword is made out of a star. It, it all kind of makes more sense if you read it in that order yeah i kind of think that uh, this is one of the very first epic collections uh, it came out in one of the in one of the first years of this of the program kind of be, being run and i think maybe if it had come out now they would change up the order um because i think that their their philosophy on the ordering has changed a little bit over the mm. years and they they do insert a little bit more of the continuity wise uh, issues the continuity heavy issues into the actual thing rather than sticking them at the back of the book um so yeah. th- things like uh, an issue a random issue of marvel 2 and 1 or marvel team up or something um, they would slot it into its proper spot nowadays, whereas back when this line first started, they kind of stick them at the end. And so this issue, I think, would probably be slotted differently if they were thinking about it today. Yeah, especially, I think, because there's kind of a, there's a natural break in the story where we left off. Yeah. There's the end of the Ultron story, and then it kind of ends. Most of the storylines are tied up, uh, and then we would we uh, are about to get into the Kang story. So it would have made sense just in terms of even the flow. Yeah, to, totally. To uh, the only other thing that I had to say about this issue is that in the um, kind of back matter, there is an alternate cover of the um, of for this issue, um, and I I really like it. I think they should have gone with that original. Um, I maybe understand why they didn't because it you don't see black that much of Black Knight. He's not that prominently featured on the cover, so um, it's a really awesome uh, image of this um, this kind of crazy gargoyle creature. Uh, with the the bad guy with an axe on top of it, Black Knight in the foreground on his Pegasus swinging his sword kind of backwards at it. but uh, and, and it doesn't frame Black Knight as well, but I love this mystical battle with planes flying around in the background and the skyscraper <laughs> below. It's a cool, cool juxtaposition. There. It is very cool. I think that it might just be too busy. Yeah. Uh, and it might work better in color when you can contrast the the, the white and Aragorn with the gray and the, and the demon or something. But, um, but it just, it looks too cluttered for a cover. Yeah doesn't read clean so i understand uh, uh it's a very cool image but i think i think they made the better choice in going with uh i can see that yeah one yeah yep uh okay well let's head over to the mighty avengers number 69 this is our start of our new um a new story a new chapter in the in the world of avengers yeah uh, yeah, and in this issue, it's entitled Let the Game Begin. Uh, and so this issue um, starts with Tony Stark being sick in the hospital. Avengers all kind of rush to the hospital to see what's wrong with him, see if they can do anything to help. Uh, while they're there, Wasp finds this strange doll lying on the ground. Um, she picks it up and then throws it away in the trash can, and it rapidly grows to be a very a big problem for the team. It's the growing man that was sent there um, by Kang, 
to fetch Tony Stark, fetch the Avengers, uh, lead the team back to Kang. And then in this issue, we also uh, see the other major supervillain we'll be dealing with, um, or one of the other major supervillains, the Grandmaster. Yeah, first appearance of the Grandmaster. And he becomes um, another one of these elders of the universe that we were talking about in the last issue because the Collector is also one of the elders. Correct. Yep. Um, yeah, so I, 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 this issue is drawn by Sal Buscema. Um, I really like Sal Buscema artwork. I, I think he, he has an interesting place in kind of Marvel art history because I don't know if too many people consider him to be up there as you know one of the greatest Marvel artists of all time, but there are a ton of people who love Sal Buscema art. Like if you, if you go on Twitter... Uh, you know, and, and follow a bunch of people like I do who are, you know, comic book fans, especially Silver Age comic book fans or uh, Bronze Age. People love Sal Buscema. They love his run on the Hulk, uh, on Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, a lot of uh, Defenders, I think, is another title he's pretty famous for. So there's a lot of people with a really big soft spot for him. Um, and and I like it too. I think of his art as almost like action figure artwork. Like it looks like when I'm looking at this this issue, particularly if we, um, you know, fast forward a little bit to page uh, two. 270, 271 of the Epic Collection and that's the scene where they, like, Kang makes an appearance. It looks like kind of an action figure setup with all the like pieces and the weapons and the soldiers all kind of placed around. So it's a little stiff, but in a fun kind of cartoony Hanna-Barbera way that, that really appeals to me. I think one of the best things about Cell is that he is just a really good storyteller even from the get-go. Um, the, these issues, he lays out the action and tells the story and, and makes it exciting and easy to understand and easy to read. Um, there are some artists that are better artists than Sal, but they're mm -hmm. not as good storytellers. And so this is where I think Sal's strength is. And then over the years, he's just also been the most consistent, uh, which is always a nice thing. Yeah, I've, I've heard that people, that uh, writers love to work with him because he was super reliable, super on time, just just a real professional, got his stuff done. Yeah, um, I've also heard he loved comic books. And, and I think <laughs> you can feel that love <laughs> in here. Oh, totally. Um, it just seems like he's having a blast drawing these issues. Uh, one thing to note about the beginning of this issue, uh, Tony Stark is in the hospital because of something that happened in the pages of Iron Man. And there are a few, there's a, there's a, um, let's see, I went and it says here when they're in the hospital, it says, in case you find it hard to believe uh, that I Iron Man could die, uh, it says, in case you find it hard to believe because you've already read Iron Man number 19, we'd better point out that this story happens before that life or death issue. And so if you're buying them off the rack, off the newsstands, there might be a little bit of um, uh, just continuity issues here. So they had to put in that little editorial box. But if you go to Iron Man number 18, which I had to pick up my Epic to, to flip through it to find out, um, that that's a story where um, a rogue LMD, life model decoy of Tony Stark, takes the Iron Man armor and tries to uh, take control of everything. And so Tony has to, without his own armor to, to keep his heart steady, um, he has to take the old gold Iron Man armor and stop him. But he it really damages his heart, which is why he's in the hospital now. The Avengers actually show up at the end of Iron Man 18 and help him get to the hospital, which is why they're here at the hospital now. It's like a direct continuation from, from, Iron, Man, from, from Iron Man number 18. And then in 19, it's like he just kind of gets better. And Okay. It didn't say anything about the surgery? Because I was, I was confused at what kind of surgery he had that miraculously 
miraculously healed him. It was um, it was just heart surgery, as far as I know. They they do say that he goes into surgery and then he just comes out of it and it was a success. That's really all that they talk about. It's not okay. as big of a deal as we think it is. And then so he, but in in Iron Man number seventeen, it says like once he's rushed to the hospital, it says. I want to find out what happens next. You better check out Avengers number 68. And I'm like, 68? Oh. That's not the right issue number. No. <laughs> um, so I think that there was some sort of scheduling issues. And 68 was supposed to be the continuation of that story. This issue, which turned out to be 69. Maybe the Ultron story became too big of a story and they had to switch it into three parts uh, instead of mm. having it just be in two parts. And so that kind of threw off the captions or something. Because now we have a caption in here that says, Sorry, we already told you the resolution of this story in Iron Man number 19. <laughs> oh, so uh, they're probably coming out in all kinds of weird order and people are confused. Yeah. Well, they're still figuring out the whole crossover thing. Yeah. <laughs> The difficulties of that, I guess, even back then, and you know, in the late '60s, people complain now about how crossovers, you know, all come out out of order and stuff gets delayed, and miniseries don't cross over right. Yeah, and I guess that was already a problem back then. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm a little confused with King's plan here. So he <laughs> sends, he, he sends like a doll, and he hides it under like a table, and then he counts on, I guess, Wasp to find it. And then to throw it into the garbage can, so the force of her throwing it, because the growing man, it's the growing man, is this this creature robot, and when it gets hit, it grows bigger and more powerful. And so I guess he counted on Wasp throwing it in the garbage can, and then it would grow bigger, and then it would crawl out of the garbage can, and then the he then it would steal Tony Stark, and then the Avengers would happen to follow it, even though it didn't try to get them to follow <laughs> it. Really, like it's a, it's a very convoluted. Does it actually say that it was the act of throwing it in the garbage that made it grow? It does not. I that was just my interpretation. So I guess it because she threw it, and there's a kind of a big impact. Thunk. And then it happened. Yeah. And I, then it says, yeah. "I have grown grown large enough to escape this simple cylinder," but it wasn't moving before, so it's yeah. not. It could have just been walking around. I'm not sure. It's all. Well, yeah, it's I kind of think that maybe it would have grown wherever it was. It was just waiting for the right time, perhaps. But but the plan itself is like if if Kang just wanted the Avengers, he could have just teleported the Avengers because he's done that in the past. He doesn't need to have this convoluted plan of of um, picking up (laughs) the lifeless body of Tony Stark and tricking the <laughs> Avengers into following him into his teleportation beam or whatever. It's like, there's easier ways to do this, King. <laughs> or, yes. you know, the Grandmaster obviously has this power as well. The Grandmaster should right. have just teleported them to wherever they wanted to go because he easily teleports them to the alternate world that they get to at the end of this episode. <laughs> right, Grandmaster could have said, who's who's your team? And King just said, the Avengers. And he's like, oh, I'll go All right, here we go. <laughs> but, but it does give us some awesome art, like on page 266 with the growing man with his strange kind of baby face like smashing out of the building yeah i love how busema drew the building just kind of crumbling in these like play-doh chunks i love that it looks so cool um, and remember that the- this is a hospital he's oh, crashing yeah. through three stories of a hospital oh, right no. here <laughs> this is not good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very bad but you don't think about that when you look at sal busema's fun action figure art right it looks yep. like chunks of play-doh <laughs> falling from the side of this hospital that's right you don't see any like carnage no uh, and then the the transportation into this orb that takes them to the future that looks really cool too um <laughs> i i also like 
Art Simek is the letterer on this issue. I love it's it. His word balloons are kind of sloppy, like they have these weird kind of square round corners, and stuff doesn't always center properly. But he uses just such bold letters. Like when the Grandmaster appears on page two seventy four, just how every other word is bold, and some stuff is like super bold. I just I love it. It <laughs> goes really well with the Salbusema art, and it's really impactful. I think it's so much fun. Yeah, I mean the the bolding of letters that you want to emphasize is commonplace, but you it really does stand out when Simic yep. does his his lettering for sure. Yeah, I think it's really really cool cool poppy stuff. Um, and also, I noticed especially the colors in this whole epic, um, but especially in this issue, I noticed it. They translate great. Like sometimes, if you look at epic collections from like the late '90s, I, I think it's because they're the colorist was not accounting for the type of paper stock that epic collections would be printed on, obviously. Um, but sometimes those colors look all kind of washed out or they don't translate great. Um, but here, they look really good. Um, I think this it just happens to be an era that translates well to this kind of clean paper in the epic collections. Yeah, I, I think. So. So too. And I think they're just more ambitious with the color in general, too. If you go to page 274 and you look at the close-up of the Grandmaster's face, I mean, we mm -hmm. have three different colors on here. We have white, light blue, and dark blue to indicate the different folds in, in the skins and everything. It's like that's more detail in color than you would typically, typically get. Yep. Um, and they, they explore a little bit more with the, the variation, the color variations as well. If you go to like an early Avengers issue, so much of it is just primary colors. Yep. Um, yep. But they're really starting to branch out with the secondary colors and, and such to make it a, a little bit more interesting to look at. Yep. And then also in this issue, we have the very uh, exciting... Uh, kind of final page with the squadron sinister appearing um who are these kind of dc uh, parody knockoff characters which which is always super fun so we have dr spectrum who is kind of a knockoff of green lantern hyperion who's a knockoff of superman nighthawk being a knockoff of batman and the wizard being a flash analog and i especially love nighthawk um just because he's he's just like a rich guy who was just bored so he became nighthawk it's like a very <laughs> it's, a, it's a good mockery of kind of the the batman origin story that's right yep. um yeah well this is that's a good segue into this next issue here so let's just keep on going to avengers number 70 first we'll note that the cover the logo changes back to the original logo here yep. Uh, and then we have a, a really nice cover also of just the Avengers going after the Squadron Sinister. And I think that if people were to look at this on the on the newsstand and see like, oh, a bunch of new characters, new new villains for them to fight, it looks looks great. One for each right. of them. And it kind of harkens back to the classic either um, annual number two, where it was Avengers annual number two, where it was new versus old Avengers, or Avengers number 53, which was the Avengers versus the X-Men. It had the similar kind of theme of the mm -hmm. two teams together um, from either side yeah so kind of hard for that so here we find out a little bit more about their plan the, what we didn't talk about in the previous one is the grandmaster has captured ravona in some sort of stasis and uh and is challenging kang to a game and he says i'll pick my champions and you pick your champions in the battle and so now they've sent the avengers to this alternate earth where the squadron sinister are and they're all going to compete against each other so we have Captain America versus Nighthawk, Iron Man versus Doctor Spectrum, Thor versus Hyperion, and Goliath versus Wizard. And it's interesting to note that all of the Avengers got transported to um, to to Kang's world, uh, except Iron Man. Or yeah. I guess was Iron Man? No, I don't think. Well, yeah, I guess no, Iron they Man sent him was back. I think. I think at the very end. 
let me see if um because they said you have to send yeah um but first you must return tony stark to his time so his life may be spared and then and then he and then he presses a button kang does on his oh belt, yeah that's sends right. him back to the hospital and then the doctor's like oh i gotta operate because now he's back and then, yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> and that's, that's right the, that's right <laughs> yeah. and so then iron man i guess avengers 19 happens and then iron man swoops in on page four of this issue uh to say oh yeah i'm here i'm here guys i'm ready and we have the four main avengers with hawkeye of course standing in for hank pym as as Goliath, but these are the, the the original four Avengers, and they yep. are fighting against the Justice League analog. And so, um, the the second string Avengers have to watch from the sidelines uh, while this battle takes place. Yep. Uh, and this is this was cool. They devoted a couple, I think, four pages for each battle, and uh, and they all take place in different parts of the world. And it doesn't really matter that it takes place in different parts of the world. That was just kind of like a whatever yeah. kind of a backdrop. Um, it cracked me up when, when Thor says on page two eighty five. So so the squad the squatter sinister disappears, and then suddenly there's like visions of monuments from around the world, and everyone is confused except for Thor, who said twould seem to be clear as crystal, and then he explains the whole plot <laughs> of the issue. Like it, yeah. it's not, but it's it, this this whole issue very much seems like, and maybe this is because they're battling Justice League analogs. This seems like a Silver Age Justice League like homage. It almost seems right. like it's intentionally because it's you know the different locations. Each person goes off one villain versus is one hero it's this kind of um, super villain who's engineering all of this it, it feels very much like the silver age uh, justice League. Comic. it really does yeah that's a good point and i wonder yeah <laughs> it probably is intentional <laughs> yeah uh but in the end here uh one of the battles is being fought in london it's goliath versus the wizard and who should show up but black knight and this is why we read the other one first because Black Knight saves the day by defeating the wizard with his ebony blade. <laughs> yes. However, yeah, with the flat of his ebony blade, yes. as he always says. Yeah, because you know you can't kill anybody with the blade. You just got to smack nope. them, smack them hard. Yeah, <laughs> a whack. Yeah. And then uh, Goliath. I love this scene. Is Goliath is like, no, give me that <laughs> before it's too late, mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, yeah, B- Black Knight can't interfere in the battle otherwise the earth will be destroyed and so yep. they all get teleported away grandmaster gets a little angry but uh, black knight get, doesn't get teleported away because he's not part of the thing so this is cool that they introduce his character into the story because now we have um we have a uh, a wild card we have a, an unknown an unexpected player that's going to shift the balance in their in their favor which is nice yep so it's kind of thrown in that uh, yeah a little extra uh, intrigue angle to the story somebody also somebody we can kind of relate to um who also seems confused by this and is struggling against the odds of a interdimensional being which is fun one mistake i want to point out is that goliath grabs the ebony blade from him and then gets teleported with the blade to somewhere else and in the final panel you see black knight saying i will find them somehow and he has the ebony blade still in its uh in his holder <laughs> on his belt so and i noticed that too so and i think there's a very good chance it is an error however oh, for sure if you look on page 298 in the the of the middle panel the the one on the left uh, with a white background he does have a blade in that in the uh, sheath or whatever there. So I wonder if he has two swords. Like he carries his ebony blade and he has a backup sword. It <laughs> looks like there's. <laughs> so I, I think that's also an that. error. I don't think I'm, you know, this is a little no prizey, but but if you look at that panel, it seems to imply that he had a sword in his sheath and he was holding the ebony blade. So that's my no prize explanation. 
<laughs> for this. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> or it could be that um, the the dialogue just, like, Roy added the dialogue to Sal, and Sal, the intention was never to have the blade missing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a little sloppy, uh, but but it's very important to the plot that the ebony blade is gone. Yes. So it's now been teleported into the future, um, and Black Knight declares he's going to follow them somehow. I also like that this continues on the thread of every time the Black Knight interacts with the Avengers or some misunderstanding, and they get angry at him, and he gets angry at them. It's, kind of a, <laughs> it's a funny way to introduce the supporting character, but it's happened in a number of issues now, um, and it can used to happen here. Okay, well, let's keep on going over to Avengers number 71. Yep, so in Avengers number 71... Uh, uh, which is entitled Endgame. Uh, the Black Knight uh, is is determined to find a way to go to the future, um, and then he he goes to this kind of this flaming pit, and then he has to light it, and then it'll give him a vision of the his ancestor Black Knight, um, who then explains to him what's going on. So he explains about Grandmaster and how there's this battle of the Avengers versus the Squadron Sinister for the fate of the Earth, and it's this challenge, you know, contest that the Grandmaster is engineering. Um, and so, and, and we also flash ahead to the future um, in this issue where we see uh, Kang um, talking about how he, you know, Ravona is not dead and not alive. She's in some kind of stasis. Um, so it establishes that thread a little bit more. And the the highlight of the issue that's um, displayed on the cover here is the uh, the kind of um, second tier of the Avengers, not the original members, with Black Panther, Yellow Jacket, and Vision versus uh, the team that will go on to be known as the Invaders. Um, so. Golden Age, Captain America, Namor, and Human Torch. Um, so that's a that's a cool thing to see. It kind of continues Roy Thomas's love of Golden Age characters, uh, and also in this issue we do get uh, Black Knight finding his way to the far future thanks to his connection to the Ebony Blade that was stolen into the far future. Um, and then we also have the Avengers showing, uh, you know, kind of going against Kang, who is given the power of either life or death. And that that uh, he makes a fateful choice with that power. So this is kind of the first. Uh, I don't know if this is the first appearance of the invaders. You know, before they're called the invaders. Yeah. But it would be. It, it's just a couple years in the future from now that Roy Thomas would launch the Invaders comic book, uh, the actual yeah. title. So this is definitely, I think, maybe either where he got the inspiration for that, or maybe this is a testing ground for to see bringing all three of those characters together. Yeah, I think I read that it was right after that this um, that the event the invaders appeared kind of in their own title. I oh, want to okay. say, yeah. And now previously, this this team would have been called like the All Winners Squad, the Golden Age version of this team. But this this team as it is now would be the Invaders. That would, yeah, that you're right. Right, times would launch like kind of right after this. Um, at least that's my understanding. So, and here they're not referred to as the invaders, but uh, and I think that first invader story actually shows this these events of this issue happening from their perspective, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah, I, I, this is another really fun issue. I like Black Knight kind of figuring out a way to get to the future, um, and it's like, you know again his mystical connection to the Ebony Blade, and there's some cool artwork on page 307 of the Epic Collection as he focuses. There's some strange kind of psychedelic looking stuff happening, and then he's transported forward and you know he has to free all of the avengers 
it's it's also fun to see the battle of the invaders versus the avengers is fine it's basically the invaders thinking that the avengers are nazis because they're in nazi germany and it's back in the past i also like the idea of the present the future and the past all happening simultaneously in the story yeah uh, which is pretty fun it's a nice kang touch to have all of those different timelines happening at once my big question for this is why was wasp left on the sidelines for these all three of these issues i mean they she's there she is yeah on the in the future with them in Kang's um, base, uh, why doesn't she get to fight any of them? I don't know, and it doesn't really explain why she wasn't like tied up either. It just seems like Kang didn't think enough of her to like capture her or anything, which is not the greatest character moment for no. her, I guess. Um, <laughs> Roy Thomas, I don't think Roy Thomas does a great job of handling that or explaining it necessarily, but uh, I mean, it works out fine. Black Knight sees her and they kind of team up together. Um, but they don't even team up. They they she doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. He frees her yeah. or something from some sort of room, yeah. and then she says, "You got to go stop him now." <laughs> that's, yeah, and that's yeah. It. it's it's not. And he already kind of knows what's going on too, so he doesn't even necessarily need her to catch him up. Um, like really, she doesn't need to be in this story at all. They could have just left her alone. And you know, like we were saying at the beginning of this episode, Avengers come and go at any time. They could have just left her. Everybody else serves a purpose in this story except for her. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's that's not the highlight of the issue. I would not say <laughs> um, the, the the one thing that I think is cool and and does have some kind of dramatic impact here um, is we get the evil of Kang. So on page three sixteen. He could choose the Grandmaster because he, well, the Grandmaster kind of uh, is a stickler for the rules, as the Grandmaster is. Um, and because the Black Knight threw off the first round of fights, uh, even though the Avengers would have won that, he only gives him half of what he promised him. He promised him the power of life over death, and now he's only going to give him either power of life or death, and he's making Kang choose. Kang is so enraged and so hateful against the Avengers that he says, I'll figure out a way to save Ravonna later. I'm going to have the power of death, and I'm going to kill the Avengers, which is kind of loses all sympathy for the character because up to this point you could have said he was maybe motivated by his love um but now he's just completely turned to hatred uh, yeah they even teamed up at the in the last team uh the last kang appearance right which was all the way back in avengers 24 which is so long ago because we've been reading these issues you know every single week it doesn't <laughs> seem like that long that's yeah. a long time ago that's years ago in yeah publishing. that's right that's true <laughs> that's a long time. Yeah, and uh, I, the other thing, is, but uh, so that's kind of uh, very bold. I also like the poetic language on, I think it's page, yep, in 315. Thor says, there be more in this man's world, villain, than thy perverted science, which I think is a playoff of the Hamlet. Um, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Oh, yeah. And uh, Roy Thomas has uh, demonstrated a love of uh, Shakespeare before. The Eggman would quote Shakespeare kind of endlessly. That's right. Um, so I think it's a nice Shakespearean touch. But then it's got it's all ruined a little bit at the very end when the Black Knight saves the day with the flat of his blade. <laughs> <laughs> so Kang is the power of death over the Avengers and he's about to kill them. He's keeping them on the edge of life. And then on page 319, he literally screams out, the flat of my ebony blade! And whacks him. Not as poetic. Like, no. <laughs> and Selbusema, kind of standard Selbusema fight scene where one character goes flying off into the distance. Um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's cartoony. It's Silver Age, but it's, it takes away a little bit from the, the yeah. Shakespearean drama of the scene. Oh, man. But in the end, they, they decide right then and there that he should be a member of the Avengers. They don't have to have a team meeting or nope, anything. No votes. No vote. <laughs> just, he's just in. Poor Black yep. Widow. <laughs> right, yeah. Yep. She... 
he had to have a whole meeting and they had a debate about it. And yeah, um, <laughs> not so for Black Knight. He's just right in. But uh, but he says it's conditional though. He's going to stay in England, and if they need his help, he'll come. But he right. won't be there for like the meetings or whatever. Yep, yep. And then we have a kind of splash page with uh, you know all the members of the Avengers there. Great um, splash page. Yeah, always fun to see those. Wow, there you go. So we had a nice three-part uh, Kang story there. It's unusual to have a three-part story in this. Uh, I mean, we had one previous with the Ultron, just actually literally just before this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we're starting but... to get longer and longer stories. And, of course, yeah. this is leading up to the kree Skrull War, which will be a massive story coming up right. in a couple of years from now. Right. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, leading up to this point, um, not not common to have stories that are that length. But we switch gears, and now we go into Avengers number 72, and it's just a one-part story, a single one-and-done story called Did You Hear the One About Scorpio? And uh, Scorpio, of course, being a character from the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. stories. Uh, he has this Zodiac key that he uses as his weapon that is kind of an um, ambiguous power source. He just like, he points it at things and people start to feel pain or something. Not exactly mm -hmm. sure how it works, but that's how it is. Yeah, and in the future, it's become more of like a, um, it, it's become kind of one of those main relics of the Marvel Universe, kind of like the Cosmic Cube or the Serpent Crown, but and here it's kind of, yeah, yeah the, but here it just seems kind of like a, yeah, like a laser or something. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have quite the um, impact as it later. This is a weird issue because it's really um, a Nick Fury story, but it also mm -hmm. has Captain Marvel, but it doesn't actually have Captain Marvel. It's, it's very strange that way. Um, it, this is spinning out of events that happen in Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. number 15, which was the last original issue of that series before it went into a reprints for a couple of issues, and then it was canceled. Yep. So this issue is really just to wrap up the, the last remaining plot threads of that story for people who really wanted to know what ha happens. Because Nick Fury apparently died at the end of, uh, of issue 15. And like that's that's how you're gonna end the the, the series, <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't even really nicely continue the plot threads of it. It just kind of says, you know, as we find out in this issue, oh, Nick Fury's not dead. That was an LMD, and he got he had a bad feeling. So on his date with his girlfriend, he switched himself out with a, li a life model decoy of himself, and so he <laughs> didn't die. And so it doesn't really yeah. continue. I mean, it does because now he's not dead and so people can use him, but it's not a neat continuation of like the themes or complicated plot threads. And it also takes Scorpio um, and just makes him one of a bunch of members of the Zodiac. So the, the Zodiac are in this, which I like, but they're ridiculous. So <laughs> it's a powerful organization called Zodiac is what they're quoted as saying here. And it's just a bunch of people and they have costumes on to match the, the costume designs are incredible to match the different signs of the Zodiac. But it doesn't appear at all like they have powers related to that. It just seems like they're a bunch of people who put on Zodiac sign <laughs> costumes. Yeah. Like really, like I think they're like businessmen and criminals and stuff like that. And like one of them puts on a lion costume and one of them puts on a bull costume and the one of them has like crab claws and it's ridiculous and it's fun. Um, but yeah. Well, yeah, we don't get to see them really in action here. They they just, uh, I mean, there is a battle, but right. they, they, yeah, they're just people in costumes. Well, further down the road, we'll see that they have individual powers, like Aquarius will have some water-based abilities and that kind of stuff. Right. But, 
right. as of now, that, it's not not the case. Is the next appearance the David Anthony Kraft like defenders issues? Um, that's maybe the next uh, one I'm aware of. That could be that one's way down the road. I think still a couple because the defenders won't like that title doesn't launch until nineteen. What is it? Nineteen seventy two. Yeah, and then um, that that story is I think issue fifty or something, isn't it? Yeah. Oh no. So they they reappear in the Avengers later. That's right. There's like a Red Wolf issue. So so they they have other appearances. So we'll get into them later. The it's the androids when they get into the defenders issues in the in seventy seven. So that's that is yeah yeah. So, yeah, and I think they appear in Ghost Rider and stuff before that. But um, so, yeah, no, I, I like that uh, the Defender story with um, with the Zodiac a lot. I think that that's a superior Zodiac story, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> well, but, I actually, yeah. funny you mentioned that because I talked about that issue because that story is contained in the first Moon Knight epic collection because Moon Knight's right. a character there, and I hated that story. Oh, I love it. It's so, and it has, um, who does it have as the artist? It's somebody else who is imitating Kirby. It's a, really, is it Trimpy? It might be. Um, I'm, I don't have to look this up now because I love it so much. So it's Defenders 49. Um, and it's so weird, like the plot resol- revolves around like how much air can be held inside of a beer can. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I think and, I just had the lack of context for, um, for the Defenders <laughs> in general to, to understand or to really appreciate that because it was just a it's in the moon knight collection it's just an out of place story it is it's keith giffen and he's doing oh, this amazing yeah, right. like bonkers curvy impression yeah and the issues are so strange i i, I really i really like those issues but i could 100 percent understand why somebody would hate them <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's, it's right on the edge for me there uh but but yeah you're right this is a very strange issue and it, like the captain marvel thing is weird because it's rick jones and he had like if he's you know hits his wrists his wrist gizmos together as he calls them then he is replaced with captain marvel um so it's and, and he's struggling with that because he always wanted to kind of be a hero and he's still not a hero he's just kind of like a carrier of captain marvel um and yeah it's uh there's a lot of threats here and they're not there. He was not foreshadowed anywhere in the Avengers title. It's not like Rick Jones hasn't been in the Avengers since issue like 17. I looked up. That was the last time he was. In huh. the Avengers. Yeah. I mean, he's been a busy guy since then. He's been in the Captain America book. He's been in Captain Marvel and stuff. And but like, why even have him in this issue? He serves no purpose. He tells the he tells the team that th- that Scorpio is behind the mysterious vanishing of these government officials, but they already yep. knew that because Dum Dum says, "Hey, we found the Scorpio symbol at each one of those sites." So Rick Jones didn't need to say that. And then when he no. comes, um, we all expect that Captain Marvel is going to appear because Captain Marvel will help them be a powerful force. But Rick Jones says, "No, no, no! I want to take care of this myself." And he doesn't do anything. And then he just yeah. leaves at the end of the issue. And there's no purpose for Rick Jones being in this issue whatsoever. He does grab the arm of Taurus or whoever it is, and which like diverts his blast, which buys the Avengers like one second to save it. But like, <laughs> I'm sure Captain Marvel could have been more effective. And, and then the ending is Captain America saying, no, you did save the day. Like, you know, you're you're really valuable. And then he's like, but then he's like, oh, you mean you want to be partners? No, you don't. I'm no. No, I'm just, yes, now. I'm leaving. And it, it's like this weird, like, kind of, it doesn't make Rick Jones look good. It makes him look like snapper carish, and it's not a good look. And it's, yeah, I, you're right. He did not need to be in this issue. I and, think, and also, yeah. the Avengers could have interacted with Captain Marvel in like a cool, I would have loved to see that. I mean, obviously, we'll get that more later, but yep. uh, yeah. 
I just think there's so much going on with Nick Fury's storyline because Nick Fury is Scorpio in this issue and and his the history with his brother and the coming of the the, the rest of the Zodiac. Like, there's a lot going on. Um, the, it, having this Rick Jones secondary plot was unnecessary. Yep. Yeah, it kind of muddied things, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, not the strongest issue in the Epic Collection, but it does have some awesome Selby Sam art, which I'm always a fan of. Yes. Um, <laughs> so visually, it's it's pretty sharp looking. And can you imagine, Selby Sam was on the previous issue where he gets to design all of the Squadron Supreme outfits, and now yep. he's on an issue where he gets to, de- to design, like, 11 new outfits of the Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, man. Yeah. And he's already on a book where you have to draw like all of these Avengers characters, which yeah. is so hard. And now you have to have like I don't know how many Avengers: one, two, three, four, five, six. So five Avengers and Rick Jones versus twelve bad guys. Yeah. Um, and then pack them into only like the last <laughs> oh, third of the comic. It, yeah. It's nuts. It, like this yeah. is that's a lot of work. But he does it, I, and it looks nice, and yes. it doesn't look too crowded. He does, it's very visually pleasing. As much as the plot of this issue is kind of a mess. Whatever Sal is tasked with doing, he does with like very professional polish. Um, yeah, so gotta, it's true. Gotta respect that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, let's keep on going. Let's move along here. Yes. Um, so next up, we have Avengers 73, uh, The Sting of the Serpent. So this is, uh, in this issue, we have most of the Avengers kind of just watching events as they transpire on television. And Avengers alongside of the rest of America are just watching as the Sons of the Serpent spark division through violence um, and racism and propaganda. Uh, the Black Panther takes it upon himself to, to try to end their threat. Um, I mean, this is a, a lot of this issue is, um, is kind of set up. Um, we do have some awesome battles with the Black Panther, um, but there's also a lot of characters who are interested introduced in this issue who do a lot of the talking television personalities and um, celebrities and, and it's um, kind of a, the, the whole issue tries to look at this uh, how race divides people um, and how narratives divide people and how media can divide people so uh, and the issue is drawn by Frank Giacoya um, who's not usually a penciler uh, in this era of Marvel uh, with Sam Granger being the inker. I felt like, uh, first of all, this was a very topical issue for our current situation in society yes. right now. I, I couldn't believe what I was reading because yes. it's it plays out almost like exactly how things are going right now. Um, like this, right. Roy Thomas was one of the original Black Lives Matters champions, yeah. or whatever you want to call him. Like, it's kind of shocking, like how directly you there's you don't even have to. I mean, obviously, there's a couple of references, and the you know the dialogue itself is a little old fashioned, but the themes and what people are saying are almost the exact same arguments people are having right now. And I think what really struck it is you, and you said this at the beginning, is that the Avengers are just sitting and watching this in this whole issue. They're sitting and watching it on TV. They're watching the debates they're seeing it unfold and that's what we are all doing right now is we are yep. i mean a lot of a lot of people out there are being more active and and actually participating in the um whether it's the protests or the, the looting or whatever you're, like there's so many different aspects of it but right. but um I, I think for just the the average person we are also taking in taking in media from different sources and coming up with our own opinions and hearing what people have to say based on what we see on 
through either TV or or Facebook or wherever. And that's what yep. the Avengers are doing here too. It was quite surprising that they don't get involved in the action at all in this issue. Yeah, it's it's an interesting choice. I think I actually kind of like it because yeah. I don't necessarily like when comics are like, well, you know, there was racism until the superheroes came in and fixed it. Or, you know, there was this war until the superheroes ended the war, the famine or whatever. Um, obviously, you know, those stories can be done well with, you know, superheroes intervening. Um, and there's, there's interesting takes on that. Um, but this is a, this is kind of a social issue and there's almost nothing the Avengers could do, which makes you them feel powerless. I think um, there's also an aspect not, of um, them not wanting to get involved too. They said in the past that matters like this, are stuff for local authorities rather than the Avengers. Um, right, which is in some of these instances maybe a questionable choice. Yes. Um, uh, you know, especially if there is something they can't, if there's violence happening or there's a criminal organization, which there clearly is, they could probably step in and do that. Yeah. Um, but, but one of the points Roy is, and I don't know if he always did this perfectly in this issue, but one of the points he's making is there's, um, you know, there's divisions between regular American citizens and it's based on perceptions and it's based on how things are being portrayed in the media. Yeah. Um, and the Avengers previously have been used as a kind of propaganda tool by one side or the other um, to to try to you know because in, in the last appearance um, of the Sons of the Serpent they made the Avengers they kind of blackmailed them into saying that the Sons of the Serpent were good so a lot of Americans were like I guess we're on the side of the Sons of the Serpent and it, the Avengers were used to manipulate people to like embrace racist ideas um, so I wonder if they're kind of reticent to do that as well the, the line that really stuck out to me was on page three forty eight. Um, it says um, the two giants would meet, talking about two TV hosts, as millions of insomniac Americans watched. And we, I think of our like, <laughs> modern condition of staring at our phones as we fall asleep, or you wake up and the first thing you do is check your Twitter feed or whatever. Yeah. That's, I'm like, oh, that's like a 2020 thing. But this is like, oh, it seems like people were always like, what's happening? And there's always some new bad news and yeah, yeah. new YouTube or whatever. Like, and it seems like it's kind of was happening back then too. We're introduced to a new character, Monica Lynn. And her story is interesting, too. Uh, there's, they make a big point of her getting attacked and the police don't come to help her out. And she says it's because she is a black girl. Um, mm -hmm. and, and she blames them for, uh, for being racist, uh, which right. again is something that <laughs> we're dealing with in right. society right yeah, now. Who are the police serving? Yeah. What are, what are different groups perception of who, how the police are doing or how they're serving people? And, yeah. yeah. But the other part of her story is also that she just doesn't care about these arguments. Uh, she just wants to sing and got on with her life. She's not taking one stance one way or the other. Uh, and I think the implication here is that that's a dangerous spot to be in, to be to be complacent and to to be apathetic to the situation. Right. Um, is, is not a like don't do that. You know, you have to um, exactly. You have to have a position, and which is contrasted with how the Avengers are doing, where they're kind of and not the no, they have the a position on, ever portrayed as being on this. Yeah, they're they're not on the side of the races to be clear yeah but they're also kind of watching this and black panther also has this well the one plot is that nobody knows i'm black is what he says but which is strange because earlier in his first appearances he only had like a half mask <laughs> right so i don't know if that's but we're gonna ignore that for the sake of this plot it's an interesting point where he he kind of just wanted to come to america and be a superhero um and he's always struggled with his responsibilities to his home nation and how much he just wants to be a superhero and serve people that way so he's struggling with how much to involve himself uh, in these issues as well yeah yeah. 
Um, Monica Lynn will, uh, after this story, she goes back to Wakanda with Black Panther to and becomes his girlfriend. And that story is told in Don McGregor's story in uh, the pages of Jungle Action, which you can find in the first Black Panther epic collection. And there is a story in there where Black Panther fights the KKK and that we meet the rest of Monica Lynn's family. And the rest of her family is just as apathetic as she was in this story. But of course, through this story and through the events of Black Panther, um, she has a change of heart. Uh, she understands where her her role is and what she needs to do, and then she gets to um, talk to her parents in the way that Black Panther is kind of talking to her here. Yeah, yep. Um, I, I really like the panel on page three fifty nine with the TV hosts debating in the middle, and Monica Lynn is is back on. Um, television after this attack and there's all of these american faces watching around um around that middle panel it's a cool composition there's a lot of kind of cool experimental compositions in this issue uh by giacoya especially the spread the, the pair of pages on 354 355 of the epic collection um with with all of the action and the boards flying everywhere yeah um, really dramatic color use of color there as well uh, that panel that you mentioned on 359 with the, the circle inset, mm-hmm. uh, all of yep. those faces are different ethnicities. So it's to show us yep. that the whole world is watching to see yes. what the outcome of this debate is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I thought that was, I thought that was an interesting touch. Um, yeah, I like I like this issue. Um, I thought it was the other panel layout I really like on this issue was on three sixty two. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's almost uh, Storanko ish, um, and this is again the post uh, Nick Fury Storanko um, uh, run. Uh, so so we see that his influence there. It's really cool. I, I like it. It's the silent page except for the caption across the top. Yeah, and you get the the Panther stalking the buildings at the top. I think is cool. Uh, yep. But yeah, the the silent panels is very reminiscent to the Storenko page in his. In, I can't remember which issue it is exactly in Captain America, where it's just uh, it at at a midway, and yeah. the, the opening splash page is just a whole bunch of panels um, at a midway. And it's it's silent, and it just reminds me of this. It's very kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, and yeah, and then at the very end, we find that Black Panther has been infiltrated, or has has infiltrated the sons of the serpent and but then his cover's blown and he gets captured and that leads us into the next issue here called pursue the panther and uh, this is issue number 74 and the avengers uh, the sons of the serpent are going to unmask black panther live on television uh to show that he is a black man and the enemy of america and so the avengers and, and i guess they they put the avengers in an awkward position saying that if they r- rescue the black panther that shows that they are enemies of America as well and if they don't rescue Black Panther then you know they're just terrible teammates (laughs) so it's like damned if they do damned if they don't uh, yep. They've been watching the whole time, and the only time they are going to intervene is now when their friend is in trouble, which is kind of too bad. They should have stepped in a little sooner than this. Oh, mm-hmm. one thing I wanted to mention about the last issue I forgot is there's um there's a weird panel choice on page 353 where Goliath, Hank Pym Goliath, is just really large in the center of the page, yeah. for, and it's the back end, so we get a good look at his rear end, and we don't actually know <laughs> why he's standing like that. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I noticed that that was the layout and I was like, oh, that's a little weird. But now that you mention it, it is Hank Pym. I mean, I guess this is the it's recap. A, yeah, it's a recap. It's a flashback. So that's why it's Hank Pym. But, and, but still, and like, I don't know. 
Is he supposed to be interacting with the third panel where they unmask General Chen there? Maybe, and he's really big, so he breaks the... Yeah, that's <laughs> weird. It's I, an odd choice. I didn't think about that too hard, and now that I'm trying to rationalize it, it's not making any sense no. to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go back to uh, this other issue. Thanks yep. for indulging me there for a second here. Yeah, yeah. No, that was interesting. Um, I'm glad you put that out. <laughs> this issue is the very first appearance of a very famous team-up, uh, John Buscema and Tom Palmer. Yes, yep. And yeah, John Buscema's back. He was uh, last issue he drew was sixty two, so a fairly substantial break um, in between those those issues. I think he was working on Silver Surfer largely in that yep. in that gap there. And that um, title has been canceled now, along with um, Nick Fury and Doctor Strange and X Men. Yep. Uh, so now he and Do- yeah, and so now he's back. He can be back on Avengers. Yeah, and Tom Palmer on the inks. Tom Palmer is an incredible inker. Um, he's historically considered one of Marvel's greatest inkers, and he's yes. one of the most important. Um, artists in Avengers history so he I, I looked up he inks uh, 74 to 84 93 to 97 uh, and then he there's a long break but then he comes back from and he inks for just about every issue from Avengers 255 until 402 so the end Whoa. of the <laughs> uh, I mean there's a couple issues here and there that he takes off but that is an incredibly long run so 255 to 402 of a title and he really keeps um, the kind of the visuals fairly consistent um, throughout that which is a really nice touch I, you know he he adapts he's not one of those anchors who overpowers um, with his style, but he is a also has a very noticeable and beautiful style um, that I really appreciate. Uh, okay, so this issue here, um, I felt had a really terrible ending. Yeah, I was um, so disappointed with this ending because there is no conclusion, and we find out that both of the white, the white guy and the black guy, were both bad guys. <laughs> right, both of the media figures, and. I- I, I I guess it's interesting because it is, I mean, obviously back then and now how the media manipulates us and tries to stoke division is a real thing yep. and is important conversation to have. But this is the second time. So there's been two stories about Sons of the Serpent and both times they're a white supremacist organization and the people running them, I guess one of them, they're not even necessarily in it for the white supremacy issue. They're just in it because they want to have power and yeah. money. they don't really care about race which is like it, there are obviously real right supremacists and that's a problem that could be addressed in comic books but both times it's just oh it's just a front for other people's ideas and white supremacy is not the problem it's greedy media members which yeah. is not the greatest moral in the world um, it's interesting but I, I also thought it maybe it wasn't the strongest idea. well and I'm trying to figure out what the point of the of, of the unmasking is supposed to be like if we're talking about how um, if the main point of these two issues is talking about the media and how the media spins certain topics are we supposed to infer from this that racism is just a construct of the media and like because both sides are in on it like they are both sides are responsible yeah. and since they're working together it it just means that uh, it doesn't like it's not an actual argument yeah i it, that that is kind of, that is a takeaway of the story I, I mean, I would bet that's not Roy Thomas's intended takeaway. I bet his takeaway is that there's more that, like, there's, there is there is real racism, but the media stokes it and tries to promote it in order to get more viewers. Yeah. And the racism that is latent in society or existed in society is brought more to the fore by 
um, bad actors, um, which which is, I mean, that's true to an extent um, that there, you know, obviously there's there is existent racism and there's media or people who, you know, and, and there are people who do try to provoke this to yep. improve their own platform. Sure. Um, but I, the thing that bothered me uh, uh, also about this issue is that if the Avengers didn't at the last minute reveal that, because basically the Sons of the Serpent have an actor stand in wearing a mask of uh, T'Challa and say, and he says terrible things like, no black American can rest while a white American lives and he's trying to cause division. And then at the last second, um, you know, the real Black Panther bursts in and rips off his mask and it just, you know, basically shows that this is all a scam. But if that wouldn't have happened, then it's basically said, oh, and then America would have like torn itself apart. And like, that's not a great moral either that like it's just a happenstance like the media almost drove america to this frenzy like <laughs> it would have been maybe nicer and obviously you could have done this in a, a like overly optimistic or saccharine way but like if if like america would have kind of stepped up and worked together in the face of this or so, i i don't know yeah um it made americans all seem just like puppets uh, which is uh again true to some extent <laughs> that people can be manipulated uh, uh, yeah, I was just. I, I don't know if I'm making sense on this. I was this. I was also dissatisfied with this issue. This has been the second Sons of the Serpent story that we've tackled uh, because uh, because we're reading these so quickly in succession, um, yeah. and both of them start well and then don't end as as nicely as I think they should. Right. Yeah. But uh, all those people who are complaining that po- comics are too political these days, it's like, yeah, they huh. they did these things back in the '60s too. Yep. Certainly not true. Yep. Comics. Yeah, comics have been political. Um, yeah. I mean, I was even on um, the Comic Journal website today. They have a long article about how in um, when Napole- when um, post-Napoleonic France or Napoleonic France was under siege by the Prussian army, there was uh, a lot of censorship of the cartoonists who were documenting the, the plague and the, the starvation that was going undergoing in Paris at the time. Yeah. Um, and how, how politically active all the cartoonists were. And this was in, you know, the 1870s or 1880s or whatever. So, yeah, cartooning is a long history of... Uh, of having politics involved. Yep, that's true. Okay, well, let's leave this one behind us. Yep. And head over to Avengers number 75, a milestone for us talking about 75 issues of Avengers in a row here. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> Yes, certainly. And we have at last their back, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, um, who I think, let me see if I can find it. The last issue that Scarlet Witch was in um, was in Avengers 53 was the last issue. And that was the, the Avengers 53, X-Men 45. Yep, That's right. Crossover there. Yep. Yeah, and so Scarlet Witch is going to be in the Avengers comic until issue 211. So this is the start of a very long run for her character in the title. And at that point, does she switch over to West Coast? I don't think so. I think that's a little later that that happens. Um, I'm trying to remember the specifics, but I think that's a little bit later. Because that's in the Jim Shooter era. Um, and West Coast doesn't happen until the Roger Stern era because there was that mini series um, with Roger Stern that Roger Stern wrote. Yeah. Um, so I think that was slightly later. Okay. But yeah, so Avengers 75, uh, the Warlord and the Witch. Um, so we have poor Jarvis <laughs> starts the issue uh, and Quicksilver comes bounding in. But Jarvis just sees that somebody is invading the Avengers mansion. Quicksilver uh, rushes through all the defensive devices. He's very concerned. Um, he's rushing around. Um, and we have also uh, that Wasp, uh, or excuse me, Hank Pym and the Wasp are going to be uh, leaving the team. Um, 
And finally, Quicksilver finds the active Avengers. Um, he says that Scarlet Witch is in trouble. Uh, he's very distraught. He wants to go rescue her. And we have found out that Scarlet Witch was whisked away to a different dimension um, by Archon the Magnificent, uh, who is this kind of Conan the Barbarian-esque character. Um, and we have some really fantastic uh, world building as we learn more about his dimension and we learn where Scarlet Witch was taken. Um, and I I really like uh, this issue. It's interesting because the whole thing is built up. There's yep. very little actual action or fighting or anything like that in this issue. We just learn about Archon's dimension. Um, we learn that it has been plunged into darkness and that also that Archon needs nuclear blasts to go off on our planet to destroy our planet to save his and so he has a plan to do this because um, he will do anything to preserve his reality um, even if a whole other world has to die I love the concept and I would love to see this story fleshed out more at some point I know that Arkan comes back on occasion and stuff but to have his own dedicated series could you imagine a series of like it's a sword and sorcery kind of a of a of a series with yeah. futuristic technology and then one day the stars just start going out and everything yep. is darker and darker and we and they have to deal with the effects of being in total darkness what a great concept for a comic book like let's let's make that an ongoing series yeah it's really amazing um or at least like a long form graphic novel or something yeah and just and how they're like a barbarian people and i think it says they're immortal um which is also fascinating yeah and they have like i mean just the wars that are depicted here are incredible and their castles which like you said have this like future tech but are also like have swords and they ride around on these bizarre beasts and yeah it's it's just a really awesome concept that that it's it's too bad it's wasted in just a two-part story (laughs) as a flashback yeah and i i mean not i don't think it would ever happen but if marvel is looking for another movie idea if they ever found their way to this that would be amazing (laughs) like because that that would make for a very compelling story like you could follow the like you said the journey of their world and how they progress and what life there is like and yeah i think it would be fantastic yeah i think so too or like a a short 10 ish a 10 episode netflix series or something like that's there's just so much um great i so many great ideas stuffed into one little story here that uh, that really really should be exploited um okay so the other thing here is that quicksilver comes back it says the last time we saw him was in spider-man number 71 and yeah. so I, I looked up that issue and that one actually tells the story of of them uh escaping from magneto like literally where they left off in the previous mm-hmm. avengers issue uh in their little plane and the three of them uh quicksilver uh, sorry scarlet witch still doesn't have her powers and they figure out what they need to do in order to um to to get her powers back and they try to contact the avengers that doesn't work and then quicksilver realizes that he could get some notoriety by taking down the wanted criminal spider-man so he tries and fails and that leads us to him coming back to the Avengers to try again because they weren't home the first time, but they're still not home this time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And and we have Scarlet Witch looking through kind of old uh, spell books and, you know, mystical books and occult kind of texts to try to find a way to 
um, to get her powers back. And, and it's implied that she's kind of guided in this by Archon, who is manipulating her actions from uh, from his dimension, um, and he's trying to get her to summon him into this world. Um, yeah, it and, says that he's been watching them for for two decades or something like that. Yeah, he knows all about them. Yep. Like all, he's basically been reading all the Silver Age Marvel comic books. That's kind of the equivalent of knowledge he has. He's He's been studying this era. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's interesting because the Scarlet Witch has not been very much of a like actual witchy character up to this point. Um, it's all just been altering probability largely. But here you're actually getting her with spell books and singing incantations, and so you're starting to get into some of that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. On page 403, which is page 18 of this issue, Arkhan says, um, learn, learn of words and phrases that might bridge the Great Barrier if they were spoken by mutants, creatures born of the atom's rampant power. And so the thing is they, yeah, if, if an atom bomb goes off on Earth, it provides his planet with light for one year. But if yep. they blow up the entire planet with many atom bombs, it'll light it forever, light their planet forever. So, and mutants are born of the atoms, which is not something they that Marvel usually talks about nowadays, but in the very early issues of the Avengers, Xavier's parents worked on the Manhattan Project and during a failed experiment uh, were doused with huge amounts of radiation and then Charles was born a mutant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mutants are born of power uh, of uh, the atom the atom bomb which is something that uh, we don't think about when we talk about the, the X-Men, but that's why they're called Children of the Atom. Right, yep. The one problem I did have with this is that, and I, I just looked this up, so thus far in human history, we've detonated around 2,056 nuclear bombs. So <laughs> there's been a lot of tests. So I think their dimension's good for a while. Maybe our <laughs> maybe in the Marvel Universe we weren't testing as thoroughly as as they they have been done here on our real Earth. Um, but that I yeah. that's a, kind of a dumb point. It's a little pedantic. It did occur to me. They only really point out the one atom bomb that ended World War II. I right. think that's really the only that's the only one of that magnitude that lights their planet for a year. The other ones were too small scale. Just I think. Tests. Yeah, so maybe they're underground, so they didn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it's, I, I do like this dynamic too, that it's our world versus theirs. And obviously he's kind of a uh, brutal person, but yep. it's not necessarily that he hates the earth. He's not trying to take over the earth for your kind of standard supervillain reasons. It's a, it's a much richer motivation than your average interdimensional like attacker would have. You know what? Uh, right now, as of this recording, Dr. Strange multiverse of madness hasn't come out yet. Scarlet Witch is supposed to be in that movie. What if one of the multiverses that they go to is archons Ooh, they I should would love that that would be awesome <laughs> that'd be so cool <laughs> after we talk about how it would be great if they made it into a movie yep. yeah I'm, I'm gonna get very excited if and I there see we that go totally i'll i'll uh, <laughs> i'll squeal with joy and then hope that there's a spin-off <laughs> movie franchise to go along with it yep. <laughs> or a disney Definitely. plus series a or something series, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh, oh goodness! Um, I, again, with the John uh, Buscema art on this, Tom Palmer yep. inks, it looks really, really great. It does, especially because um, you know, again, this is largely set up in world building, um, so it's not even action, and it still looks incredible. 
incredible. I also noticed that in his return here, before we had noticed he was using a lot of six-panel grids, but they were three tall panels on the top, three tall panels on the bottom. In, in these issues, he's been using a lot of kind of more traditional six-panel grids with the squares um, across them. Right. Uh, and he's been using more panels per page than he was using in his earlier appearances. So I don't know how much of that is attributable to Roy, how much to, to him, but it's, a, it's an interesting transition in his art. That's true. It's definitely different. Um, yeah, it's more much more standard. Yeah. And maybe that's because of the story he was trying to tell, uh, or maybe Stan forced that on him in Silver Surfer, and so now he's kind of just used to it or something. I don't know. Yeah, and it definitely facilitates the really dense um, storytelling. And even though this is a, there's a lot going on in a lot of these issues, these were very readable issues. I actually read all of these last night, the ones that we're <laughs> talking about today. And it, it actually didn't take me that long because um, they're, they're very quick-moving and very compelling, and it was by no means a slog like some epic collection. Yeah. Well, moving on to the last one we're going to talk about today, issue number 76, The Blaze of Battle, The Flames of Love. Yes. Yeah, the second part, the conclusion to our story here. The Avengers have to find a way to get to Archon's dimension to save Scarlet Witch and then in turn save their planet. Um, They try a few things, try creating uh, gizmos for themselves. Um, Black Black Panther is really the only one that has the the smarts to figure this kind of stuff out. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody else isn't really a a scientist in that sense. Um, But none of their plans seem to be working. And uh, and there's a really, really good interplay between Quicksilver, Vision, and Black Panther, where Quicksilver is like, why are we wasting our time? My sister's life is in danger. And Vision says... Um, he says a cosmos is in danger for for the one called Archon means to destroy all all of Earth with a nuclear device, and you dare dwell on one lone life. And I'm like, yeah, tell them, Vision, that they, there's more important things going on. And then Black Panther says, if you were human, Vision, you'd deal with more kindly with Pietro. The life of one person close to you means far more than than those of abstract millions. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a good point too. <laughs> yeah, and and then even. And then even next, Captain America says, I can't let him die no matter what the cost. And he has to destroy this machine to save his friend. Yeah. Um, and then Vision also uh, saves Black Panther's life by draining the energies off of them. Um, and then um, and then, uh, and Vision says, still, I cannot resist observing that if I, were, if I were human, as you mentioned before, neither I nor any man might have saved you. Right. And then Black Panther says, there's a moral in <laughs> there someplace. In that <laughs> so, but, but it is a very interesting development on this theme, which is kind of the same thing Archon's doing where he's willing to sacrifice to him these abstract lives of everybody on Earth yep. to save his people he knows personally. That's right. So it's a, it's a nice thing that uh, Thomas is doing there where he's, he's starting with this theme of personal connection to people versus abstract suffering or, or death and, and how important are those two things relative to one another. And yeah, it's, a, it's a cool theme they're developing here. Well, and I think of uh, if you take it way into the future, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers like, yeah. plays to, this, yeah. to the extreme when literal worlds are colliding and the Avengers have to decide whether they blow up that planet that's coming at them uh, or in order to save their own planet like it's it's the ultimate um, uh, is the ultimate test right <laughs> right yeah it's like a yeah it's a kind of an ethics test there um, what yeah and they how much will they lose their humanity in doing this and it's also a nice exploration of heroism where yeah. it's you know what does it mean to be a hero like do you sacrifice like your own soul your own morality um, to save everybody, does that make you a hero or does that make you a way worse villain? Um, so I, I, a lot of people, I think people have mixed feelings on Hickman sometimes. 
I, I view him as a very different kind of writer than this stuff. I adore this early Silver Age stuff. I think it's so much fun. It has so much heart in it. The Hickman stuff is, uh, you know, obviously harder sci- sci-fi stuff, but I also really enjoy his run on the title as well. I think I think there's a place for both. Oh, there definitely is. And, you know, Avengers have been so, along so, they've been around for so long that if you don't like Hickman's, there's still plenty for you to love. And you don't have exactly. to like every <laughs> issue of Avengers. Um, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so there's a scene yep. here with Goliath and Black Widow. She pops in out of the blue, basically to tell us that Roy Thomas is writing her out of the story now. Like, she's yes. been on the sidelines for too long, and Roy Thomas is like, I really don't know what to do with her. I just don't like her. So this is it, folks. I'm finally getting rid of her. Someone else can do something with this character. <laughs> yes. Poor, poor Clint Barton and poor Black Widow. Yeah. It's just at this, the last time they had a romantic interaction, it was basically just her being like, I have another, I'm going to go with S.H.I.E.L.D. again because you're so boring. You're busy all the time. And he's like, I'm too busy to talk about this. And they just kind of part ways. It's another yeah. like one or two thing. So I, I think I, Roy Thomas does a lot of really great things and he's focusing on a lot of different things, uh, a lot of balls in the air. This is one he just hasn't really maintained a narrative thread um, well it's because the narrative started before he was on the book it was something that Stan right. started and it's obviously something that Roy didn't care about at all uh, right. and it's so, much more of a Stanley thing this is kind yeah. of soap opera like you know are they boyfriend and girlfriend will they reconcile they you know this whole yeah and so he's just kind of doing away with it and I think it's I, I can't remember if it's the next month or very soon after this is when she is in the issue of Spider-Man number 69, where she gets a new costume. And that is kind of the start of her actual career as a as a superhero, rather than yep. having something, you know, only being tied to Clint Barton. Exactly. And then she'll go on to Daredevil and kind of co-star in that title yep. as well. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I feel bad for both of them. They've had a hard time (laughs) here. Uh, right after that interaction, you have some really nice establishing shots, um, on not, not in terms of big ones, but just in terms of kind of, um, way back views on page 412 and 413, where you have Archon and Scarlet Witch riding on this kind of lizard monster across this wasteland. And then you have them going into the super technologically advanced city. um, So Kirby. Yes. So Kirby which is a great way of establishing that this is this kind of crazy cosmic world that's barbaric and you know desolate, but also has this amazing technology as well. Out of the blue, the Avengers show up halfway through this issue. They have managed to figure out a way to get to Archon's um, universe. And it's just Thor's hammer just brought them there. Yep. <laughs> that's <laughs> <Yeah>. all it is. <laughs> Yep, because they had been figuring out this machine and they couldn't figure out the machine would work and it's going to kill somebody if they take the machine. Yeah, and they're like, well, Thor has this magical hammer that can do literally anything. (laughs) So why don't we rely on that? And we also, we found out in uh, the early issues of uh, Thor uh, in Journeys into Mystery, we do know that uh, Thor's hammer is capable of teleportation. It takes him to the future with Zarko the Tomorrow Man and stuff. So it's not out of the realm of possibility here, but it's just like all of a sudden now Iron Man and Thor are are with everybody. They weren't before, and yep. uh, and they're now here to take on the whole the whole world. I guess right. It is exciting when they show up, especially yep. because right after they show up, uh, the very next panel is this massive army, which looks so intimidating and crazy. 
crazy and like yes. monster skin for hats and like giant cannons. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And and before before all this happens, just to go back uh, briefly, there's uh, there's this kind of poetic exchange between Archon and Scarlet Witch, and I don't think this romance is particularly well developed. But uh, Roy Thomas does love literature, so I, I went to this is a uh, Scarlet Witch quotes a poem uh, by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Um, yeah. So that's on page four sixteen. So I I do appreciate all the literary references that Thomas is, is putting in here between his golden age love of golden age superheroes which he keeps inserting his love of science fiction and fantasy which obviously is present here um, and his love of literature there's there's so much going on in his run that I really appreciate when did Conan start uh, the Marvel comic I think fairly shortly after this and I read that John Buscema was intended to be the original artist and uh, then Marvel decided because they had to pay like a certain rate to I can't remember who his creator was, uh, Conan the Barbarian. Um, Robert, um, Robert E. Howard? Howard, yeah, Robert E. Howard. Yeah, they wanted a cheaper artist so they didn't lose money. So they went with Barry <laughs> Smith, who was a young artist at the time. Uh, Busema would go on to have a, a nice run, a very nice run on the, and a very well-regarded run on the title, but um, he was going to be the initial artist working with Roy Thomas. So I don't know if this was a test for that. That's kind of what stuff. I was wondering because it's very Conan-ish and yep. it's like if the timing works out, because I know that they did this kind of thing. Um, in Iron Fist, there was a um, an X-Men crossover that was used yep. as a test to see if John Byrne could handle the X-Men characters. And then he moved on to X-Men after that. Uh, and yep. so that could be very well what they're trying to do here as well, is use this as a testing ground to see how good John Buscema is at the Conan world, which the answer yeah. is he's awesome. He's incredible. Yeah, 1970 was Conan the Barbarian, which is, I think oh, this yeah. is a 1970 issue. So yeah. it's like right at, so I don't know if the decision had been made or maybe they knew they had the property at this point. Oh, I'm sure uh, they I would did. imagine yep. they probably did. Yeah. Um, so I, I would not be surprised if that was the case. This is a test. Yeah. Okay, the only other thing I want to mention about this issue is that the Avengers save the day. They get yep. teleported back to the reality, but they don't take Toad with them. Yes. <laughs> Poor Toad. <laughs> Toad is left behind. And yep. no one says anything about it. <laughs> nope. Oh, I feel very bad for Toad. Um, I think he next appears actually in an Avengers issue, like a long time from now. I, I want to say, um, yeah, it's uh, not not the. the he is left time. chained in the dungeon. <laughs> yeah, of a barbaric world that is full of violence and yep. apocalyptic. Poor yeah, guy. Uh, yeah, he cannot catch a break. Nope. <laughs> yeah, the the closest thing to a happy series I've seen for Toad is in uh, Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X Men, and even that I think he eventually has a sad ending too. But there's a little while he has some amount of happiness there. Yeah. Um, the yeah the other thing about this issue is so it ends because in a very anticlimactic way because there's this battle for the fate of the earth which is really awesome where like vision and goliath are struggling against archon who's on top of the empire state building and he's trying to throw this nuclear orb which will destroy the earth and they're trying to stop him it's very exciting and dramatic and um and scarlet witch is there and, and quicksilver and everything and then they get a vision from there's like this message that comes back from our uh, Akron's Archon's dimension that basically says, Oh, you can stop trying to destroy earth. We figured it out now. And it basically just 
uh, Iron Man devised an engine to restore the life giving <laughs> rings, which was literally so Iron Man just Tony Stark just figured it out. Like, yeah, and then off- and Thor pan- uh, powered it. The two guys that yeah. weren't in the buildup of this story at all, and this is what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, yes. is like these two guys appeared out of nowhere, solved the problem off panel, and that yep. was it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then Archon's just like, oh, okay, cool. I guess I don't have to kill seven billion people anymore um and then they're like oh yeah that was an interesting guy and scarlet witch is like kind of like oh you know he's he's kind of good like she has feelings for him like he tried to kill everyone and like sure he gave up on the idea once he didn't have to but that's still he he seems like he got a pretty like clean slate after this um considering (laughs) no one actually died so he didn't actually commit any crimes yeah no harm no foul yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh boy okay Um, yeah. It was still a fun uh, story. I still really enjoyed yes. it. Oh, yeah. I love it. it. It ended very abruptly and in kind of a strange way. But this this two-part story is really great. And I think it's a really great way to end the Avengers issues. In yeah. This epic one. yeah. Well, and uh, there's a couple of bonus features in here, mostly just original art, uh, we, which right. we talked about in the previous issue. So I don't think we really need to go over that now. I do want to say, though, that we are not going to talk about Avengers Annual Number 2. Or King Size, or sorry, number three, King Size Special number three, because it was all reprints, reprints right. of Avengers number four and Tales of Suspense number sixty-six through sixty-eight. Right, or just Captain America issues. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, which is an interesting treatment, I guess. Maybe they wanted to, you know, build up some some hype for Captain America, and you know, as one of the premier members of the Avengers, and you know, a guy who has his own book like they wanted to keep promoting him there must have been a demand there so that was interesting but uh yeah i i really love this epic collection as we've already stated multiple times um i love the roy thomas era tons of great artists in this volume um, and i had a great time reading this yep same here solid book um i definitely the best out of the first four volumes and it'll be interesting 100%. to see uh, as of this recording volume five is not out it'll be out right. uh, a, m- a month from now and right. then yeah, it'll be cool to see how the story progresses as we get closer to the Kree Skrull War. Exactly. And this was a really fun way to read these issues, too. Um, we, we've been, what is this, the sixth week in a row? Yeah. We've recorded a, a podcast episode every Monday, I think, or yep. maybe a Tuesday in there. <laughs> yeah. It's been very, very neat to see uh, the transition between Stan and Roy in such a fast paced uh, like, you know, this is, we covered 10, not 10 years, uh, about seven years worth of Avengers now. And, yep. and man, comics changed so much between the early 60s and the late 60s. Right. Uh, just yeah. the way that, that stories are told, the, the use of dialogue, the use of artwork and panels. It's the transition between it, uh, it is actually pretty smooth. Um, reading them so quickly, we don't even notice that we get to that point. Um, but it's it's just it's just yeah it, it's awesome. Uh, I love yep. that we saw the formation of all of the major themes and concepts in the early days with Stan Lee and how Roy took those and developed them into stuff that writers today are still building on. And it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. And I think I think one of the most important things Roy Thomas did um, is his treatment of continuity. Um, and how he respected it, and he also loved to pull pull back like characters like Wonder Man or Power Man from early issues that people forgot. 
Um, and, and he did that throughout all of his work where he would take these little unexplored gems and evolve them into something bigger uh, and richer. Um, and then and, and the best, you know, the best Marvel writers going forward would do something similar as well, where they'll take some thread and, and pull it out and, and see where it takes them, um, which is which is really great. How do you think the um, Avengers stacks up against uh, other Silver Age titles at Marvel? Is this, would you kind of consider it middle of the pack or one of your favorites? Where, where would you place it? I don't think that the Stan Lee Avengers is my favorite mm-hmm. uh, out of these Silver Age. I mean, you kind of have to, to tackle them separately because, the, right. like I said, this the early 60s is so different than the late 60s. So if we're yep. just talking about the early 60s Avengers, um, that's definitely not my favorite. Fantastic Four is right up there uh, at the top yeah. of my list. And then, but as we get into the late 60s, and maybe I'm not the best to talk about this because I haven't read a lot of the late 60s yet, but... Yep. Um, Hulk is excellent in the late 60s. Absolutely yeah. excellent. And this Avengers is right up there with that, I think. Um, I haven't read Romita's Spider-Man uh, in full, but, I mean, that stuff is supposed to be excellent too, so I'm really looking forward to diving into there. Uh, but this is definitely the um, probably the best of the late 60s that I've encountered so far. Yeah, I've I've read Romita Spider-Man. I really do like it. I'm more of a Ditko uh, guy myself, so I prefer his his era. But the Romita Spider-Man is super fun. Like yeah. um, that era is, is incredible, and Romita's art is, is obviously great. Um, I, I think that if you take maybe 1960s Marvel as a whole, I don't think this is at the pinnacle of stuff that happened in the decade. I would say the Ditko stuff and uh, the best of Jack Kirby is is higher than this so fantastic four is fantastic core work for sure um but you know especially the john buscema stuff the gene colin stuff when roy thomas really got rolling this is almost up there like it's you know if that if the ditko and the best of kirby is you know top tier this is just below that in my mind so yeah i, I would if you're a fan of marvel comics you're a fan of epic collections generally i would i would especially recommend this volume to, to check out really totally. really quality stuff well you know it's been six weeks and it has been a wonderful time uh being yeah. Able Thanks to for go having through me. this, yeah. So I, many issues. <laughs> unfortunately, we. I'm going to move on to other things now. We've got some. I, uh, in store for me coming up is going to be uh, some Moon Knight, some Transformers, and we're going to spend. Based on how I really enjoyed tackling multiple volumes all at once, I'm going to go yep. through the Daredevil issues, the the Nocenti volumes, the two. There's a Touch of Typhoid mm. and Heart of Darkness. Those two yep. volumes with my co-host Adam. Chapman, and we'll do that probably in August. So, nice. yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to those. The John Romita Jr. art in there is some of my favorite like comics art ever. I yeah, it's love good. John Romita Jr. It's really cool. Perfect. Well, that's something for you folks to look forward to, and eventually Chris, you'll come back on the show when we can talk about um, the fourth epic collection, this Beachhead Earth. and or maybe, the fifth, but yes. The, sorry, the fifth, <laughs> yep. And uh, and yeah, we'll look forward to, to having you back on the show when we get around to that one. So Sounds great. Yeah. Thanks again so much for having me. One last plug for your Instagram, uh, Chris. Yes. Uh, so my Instagram is Chris Russ Comics. Uh, you can check out my art there. Um, drawing a comic called Eddie the Office Goblin. Uh, so please follow me there to check it out. Um, and then also, if you're a fan of Epic Collections in general, I would really recommend the Facebook page that Curtis uh, runs. It's awesome. It's a fun place. People are very nice there and very friendly. You don't always get that on comics fandom. And it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a really fun, cordial place to be. So uh, what is what is the name of that Facebook group? The Epic Collection Speculation Ad 
liberation discussion and um, I don't even remember. <laughs> it's a long title, but if you just search Epic Collection on Facebook, you'll find it. And you can also yes. search for Epic Marvel Podcast on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you'll find me there posting every once in a while on uh, new episodes and such. And yeah, yeah this, is, this is great. I uh, hope to see you around. And uh, thanks, everybody, for paying attention to these last six weeks of Avengers. We had a lot of fun, and we hope that you did too. Thank you.